No, are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Yes, we are missing Christine this week I due know. to job. Um, the job comes first, evidently. I mean, I mean, people gotta pay bills, you know. People, people gotta, gotta pay bills. Yeah. So you're stuck with just the two of us schmoes. You're stuck with the OG. The yeah. Let's go to. Okay, it's a little complicated. First, we start. What uh, later we find out is uh, Caribbean island. Even though the drums sound very African. Well, I mean, Ma, you know, don't be like a lot of people now. Where do you think that the black people from the Caribbean came from? And then uh, it uh, it actually starts, the story actually starts in the United States South in 1933, Correct. Yes. Well, I don't know if it takes place in 1933. This is a pre-code film made in 1933. Very pre-code. Nerd alert. This is an independent New York. Yeah. This is is one of the first independent New York cinema jaunts. (laughs) I am very interested in the particulars. Because yes. I want to hear all about that. This week we are doing the 1933 film Emperor Jones. Me too, people. I hadn't heard of it either. Uh, yeah, a lot of... I hadn't heard of it either. It is on HBO Max. It's an hour and 17 minutes. So I I think... Because we're going to... You're probably going to be enticed by what we tell you about this film. And you might want to check it out yourself. And I am going to intro. When his subjects revolt, a Caribbean dictator looks back on the path that led to his downfall. That and that's what they say in the HBO Max, right? Like yeah. on the Yeah. So when this movie started for what? Like the first 40 to 45 minutes yeah. I, I was like is, is this the same movie so okay let's get to the particulars of the emperor jones it was released on september 29th 1933 directed by dudley murphy he's a white guy he's an american film director he also did st louis blues black and tan sports parade and alex the great He's probably best known as from his work on as an experimental musical based films. He did this movie called Ballet Mechanique with artist Ferdinand Ledger. And that's one of like it's an experimental film. And watching this film, it kind of makes sense that this guy was into experimental things. What are you dying of laughing over there? Your father, Mr. Microphone, placing microphones in exactly the right place, is making noise over here. Oh, well, as we established previously on Gone with the Bushes, that's what the men of the Bush family do. 
as soon as we get on, as soon as we start. they have important noise-making things they got to get done. Meanwhile, there is always an open invitation for either one of them to ever join us. Exactly. So I don't know why they have to feel left out of the shindig. <laughs> but it's like they're left out yeah, and they have to make some noise. And, we, and, no, and, and sometimes I purposely like pick a movie for, that I'm like, oh, because like, you know, so they'll watch it and enjoy it. No, they just want to make noise. That's fine. I think that a lot of people listening understand that okay. plight. So the background noise you hear are um, the men in our lives. Moving on. The men in our lives or when it's super hot for me, the fan or AC, or all the time here in my refrigerator because I'm not unplugging and plugging it back in because you know mm. I would never remember to plug the refrigerator back in. So All that kale. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of kale in the freezer this week. A lot. Back to our particulars. Right. So this movie, the, the filmmaker is known for musical-based experimental film and imagery. I did feel like this was a touch experimental. This was a touch. I mean, when it when you hit play and the Criterion logo comes on, I'm like, okay, all right. What are we in for? Yes. Screenplay by Du Bois Haywood. Or, I'm sorry, by Du Bois Hayward. He's a white guy. He is Really? Best I did not expect that. No, I know. But listen to this. I'm glad you're seated. He's known best for his novel, Porgy. <gasps> yes. Which, no. Which he turned into a play with his wife, which was then turned into the 1935 opera by George Gershwin and the 1957 film, Porgy and Bess. And Bess. Yes, he also did the novels, Mamba's Daughter, and the children book The Country Bunny and The Little Gold Shoes. He also did the play Brass Ankles. So then, so he did all that. So then this is based on a play by Eugene O'Neill called The Emperor Jones. And Eugene O'Neill, he is a white man as well. He's a famous American playwright and a Nobel laureate. He is known for characters on the fringe of society who struggle to maintain their inspiration and slide into disillusionment and despair. All his plays pretty much have some degree of tragedy and pessimism. Nerd alert. So when Eugene O'Neill, he spent one year at Princeton and everybody's like, why do you leave after one year? a bunch of different stories this is the story that i like the best so it's the one i'm going with you can look up the other ones if you want one story is that he got thrown out of princeton because he threw a beer bottle at the window of his professor who happened to be fuck boy woodrow wilson <gasps> oh wow i'm like all right eugene o'neill um you know he would Fuckboy Woodrow Wilson fuck was uh, a professor at Princeton, you know, before he went on to step into his full fuckboyness <laughs> as president of the United States. Yeah. Um, his daughter, Eugene O'Neill's daughter, Ona, he, he disowned her. 
because when she was 18, so in 1943, she was 18 and she married a 54 year old man. That 54 year old man that Ona, the 18 year old daughter married was Charlie Chaplin. Oh, wow. And so they, they never spoke again. I was just like, oh man. Whoa! You could never do anything that would make me not talk to you. Oh, that's good to know. Other than kill me, and then I couldn't talk to you anymore. Exactly. Okay. Um, the plays he wrote. These are the plays that he wrote that won a Pulitzer Prize: Beyond the Horizon, Anna Christie, Strange Interlude, A Long Day's Journey into Night, and then he also wrote these plays: Morning Becomes Electra. Morning Becomes Electra and The Iceman Cometh. So I've heard mm-hmm. of a bunch of those plays. I mean, mm-hmm. a, a long day's journey into night and The Iceman Cometh. Those those seem to always be on Broadway and very coveted of, of uh, actors. They, I think actors really love these plays. Because they get to have such a full range of emotion. They, just, they get to act. To emote. Yes. Mm-hmm. On the stage. The music is by Rosamund Johnson, who, nerd alert, along with his younger brother, who is a poet and activist, activist James Weldon Johnson. So these guys are black. They wrote the lyric. His brother wrote the lyrics, and Rosamund wrote was the composer for the Black National Anthem. Lift every voice and sing. Wow. I mean. That alone right there, you wrote that and composed it. There you go, you're bona fides. So he's a singer and he was a composer and singer during the Harlem Renaissance. So we'll do a nerd alert, which was an intellectual, social, and artistic movement that started around 1918 through the mid-30s. So think about what was going on in America then. You know, we had soldiers that were coming home from World War One black soldiers and they were like hey we fought for our country and the country was like yeah but you're still black and you look at a lot of things now of when what year did this civil war statue go up and the Tulsa massacre and the red summer so meanwhile all of that's happening but you also have the Harlem Renaissance and it was happening in upper Manhattan the Harlem area um, the common themes of the Harlem, Harlem Renaissance were the influence of the experience of slavery and the emerging African-American folk traditions on black identity, the effects of institutional racism, the dilemmas inherent in performing and writing for elite audiences, and the question of how to convey the experience of modern black life in the urban north. Hmm. Wow. 90 years ago. And that, and that sounds like today what mm-hmm. happened with the NBA and sports right. and entertainment. Well done. Well done, NBA. Well done, hockey. Hockey. Yeah. So you, you have um, places like the Cotton Club. That was in Harlem. Music. I mean, you, even if you don't know what the Cotton Club is, you've heard of the Cotton Club. But here's the thing that you might not know about the Cotton Club, which was in Harlem. All black entertainment, dancing, everybody. It was only for white people. 
no black people were allowed to patron the establishment the patrons, mm-hmm. the, uh, the wait staff i'm sure the cooks and the entertainment were all mm-hmm. black but in this this in this enclave during the harlem renaissance so but because of that because you know a bunch of white people were coming in and that was the place to go those entertainers then get got a, you know your cab calloways your duke ellingtons and so on they got famous and they were able to make more money and by making more money they were able to do more things but i'm sure that if they had their druthers they wouldn't it's that it's that classic catch 22 thing mm-hmm. So also with writers and stuff, there were a bunch of black writers, but during the Harlem Renaissance, the writers were black, but the publishers publishing the work were white. And so the white publishers, it was kind of a quota system where, yeah, all right, I got, I got my Langston Hughes. That's it. I got my, I got my black guy. I don't need any other black writers. So it was kind of, there was still a stifling of it. And of course, like with any group of people, there's not a monolithic view of it because the movement of the Harlem Renaissance had its share of criticisms. So there were people who criticized the movement is like, hey, like, what are y'all doing? Like, you're just mimicking your white counterparts. You're doing the clothing, the manners and the etiquette. And that's just basically by you doing that there were some that looked at it and was like well you're basically taking into the stereotype that this is the best way and that's the european way and so you're kind of you know um supporting white supremacists in a way because you're saying that this way of doing things and this etiquette this style of dress this style of manners that and emulating that you're kind of reinforcing this thing so Which is pretty much the story of the Emperor Jones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the end of the Harlem Renaissance um, came pretty abruptly um, because there, the Great Depression and the, there were naive assumptions about the centrality of culture and they didn't take into account that you know, you can't really have that without it also being unrelated to economics and the social realities. And the social reality was like, a Great Depression has hit, and now people are just going to be looking out for themselves. And they need somebody to blame for this Great Depression and for being out of work. And guess who's going to get blamed? Does this sound like um, like our, our um, presidential candidate? I mean, does this sound like the history of America? Wake up! (laughs) So, Rosamund Johnson, he's most famous for... He sang the role in the original production of Gershwin's... He sang Frasier in Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. It all comes back to Porgy and Bess. It always comes... I mean, I have goosebumps because it always comes back to Porgy We might have to change the name of this podcast to Gone with Porgy. Porgy and Bess. <laughs> Where is Porgy and yeah. Um, And Frank Tors, he was a white guy. He also did the music. He did Crime Without Passion, Beyond Tomorrow, and the villain still pursued her. The director Ooh. of photography is Ernest Holler, 
who he might not jump out at you, but this guy's bona fides. He also shot a little film called Gone with the Wind, Jezebel, Rebel, Rebel Without a Cause. All that we've done. Mildred Pierce, The Maltese Falcon, Whatever mm-hmm. Happened to Baby Jane. In fact, he was Betty Davis's favorite cameraman. Oh, then that means he did her justice. Mm-hmm. Edited by Grant Wytock, he did Sirens of the Sea, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and The Night of Love. So now we're at the cast. So it's starring Paul Robeson. He plays Brutus. He was also in Body and Soul, directed by Oscar Michaud. We did Body and Soul, didn't we? Or did we not? We did an Oscar Michaud. We did Oscar Ma- We did win within our within our gates. But I yes. thought that we did body. Maybe we didn't. I don't think we did. I meant to look Wait, that is up. Is that the reason that you named it Truth and Soul? Because of body and soul? Probably one of them. <laughs> okay. Probably. Yeah, prob- I don't know. Probably, though. Maybe. Um, yeah, knowing me, probably. Showboat, King Solomon's Mind, and Big Fellas. This Paul Robeson was... I mean... At the time, what do you say? Like, sadly, Paul Robeson was like the Chadwick Boseman of his day. Mm. You know? Rest in peace, Chadwick. Man. Yeah. Um, Dudley Diggs as Smithers. He was also in Alexander Hamilton, which is a pre-code film that I've never heard about. But we have to see if we can find that. Oh my gosh, we'll sing the soundtrack even though it won't go. Yeah, The Invisible Man and Mutiny on the Bounty. Frank H. Wilson as Jeff. He was in Beware, The Girl from Chicago, and Watch the Rhine. Freddie Washington was Undyne. Yes. I don't know if we've ever done a, but I know that we talked about her and I think we talked about her in the Imitation of Life podcast because she was in the 1934 Imitation of Life. Ah, she was a very light skinned Mm -hmm. black woman with, it appeared, blue eyes, light eyes. Oh, yeah. And there's also like a quote that I'll get to later that she's, that I know that I read on a previous podcast, but I'm going to read it again because it's awesome. She was also in Black and Tan, One Mile from Heaven, Nerd Alert. She got her break into show business because she was hired by Josephine Baker to be in the Happy Honeysuckle Cabaret group. Ah. I mean, you get high, like pan-picked by Josephine Baker. Wow. We have Ruby Elsie. She was Dolly. She was a pioneer operatic soprano. She, really? She created the role of Selena in Porgy and Bess. Holy crap. She was also in Birth of the Blues. We have, wow. he has a small part, but I was like, this name is so familiar. Oh. Rex Ingram as the court crier, who was Lucifer Jr. in Cabin in the Sky. Oh. Remember? One of my favorite characters yes. of all time. He was also in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and Sahara. And then I didn't know this until I was doing my particulars. I'll bet you're going to say what I know. As the character Marcella, Jackie, Mom's Mabley was in this. No, I did not know that. That was Jackie, Mom's Mabley? Yeah. 
She was in the tuxedo and stuff. She's also known as, like, the funniest woman in the world. She's a stand-up comedian. If you watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Wanda Sykes played her. There's a fantastic documentary that Whoopi Whoopi Goldberg did on HBO. I think it's called Mom's Mabley. She was also one of the first openly gay comedians. I think she came out in, like, 1921 or something. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I was oh, just like, you didn't mess with her. Mom's Mabley? You know who had a, a part, but an un... An un... Credited part? Yes. Billie Holiday. What? Was in, she was in a in a um, crowd scene. How did you, you... That came up in your like yes, researching? Did. I didn't just make it up. I know, but I didn't know if you were like, oh my but God, got, that's Billie I Holiday. Got it, I got it from the internet, so... Yeah, but I thought, I thought it was one of Because in you know, movies that they we're more familiar with, sometimes we'll be like, is that a... <laughs> You yeah. know the guy in the in the a courtroom scene. That you're like, is that Bruce Willis or something? It's something random, yeah. you know. Is that Woody Harrelson? Uh, so I thought you were like, is that is that Billy Holiday? No, I got that in my research. Oh, nice. All right, so those are the particulars. Wow. Okay, because I okay, so this was an independent movie. It was filmed in New York. Yeah. It, and another nerd alert. Paul Robeson said that he would be in the movie. He specifically said, I'll film anywhere as long as it's not south of the Mason-Dixon line. It was like, Which even included Hollywood. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, he wouldn't He wouldn't go to Hollywood. So, uh, okay, so we'll move on. We start with, it's a black and white film. And I also read that there was not one full-length 35-millimeter film they had to take the 16 millimeters and splice it together to make this film. Oh, because it did. I think the version that we watched is the one that I think in the early 2000s, the Library of Congress restored. Right. Yes. Yeah, because yes. because um, well, we'll get into it about the code and the pre-code and all the stuff that they had to cut. They cut stuff? <laughs> well, the, what we saw... Well, no, they had to, like, yeah, they had to cut stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, Ma. They had to cut stuff out. And then there is some, there's something at the end that completely got cut out. So Yeah, this and is, I have a nerd alert about. This is very loosely based. So the Eugene O'Neill play, I haven't read it, but from what I gathered in my <laughs> very uh, obtuse and superficial internet research was that the play is told in flashbacks. So that's kind of why it mm-hmm. sets it up like, oh, he's it. And when they decided to do the movie, um, you know, Hayward and stuff was like, I think it's going to be a better movie if we do it chronologically because it's just going to work probably better. Um, because, okay. you know, film is a visual medium and stuff. And the film quality isn't great. And the sound quality isn't great. I did have to put on my closed caption yeah but you have to think this was 1933 so like the divorcee this is the infancy of sound and this is all done outside of hollywood right but and these were neophyte producers and stuff so it kind of makes but when you take that into account i'm kind of like damn they did like a pretty good job yeah 
Okay, so we hear drums, rhythmic drums, and rhythmic singing. Mm -hmm. And um, it sounds African. Um, then we cut to a black church and people are singing gospel and there's a minister and the minister says, we need to pray for brother Brutus Jones because he is moving. He's gotten this huge job. I mean, he, he is moving on up. Yeah. They don't, they kind of say that he's a, like some sort of foreign correspondence and been appointed well, I was by expecting the it to be a huge job. Okay, so next we cut to Brutus Jones in a mirror back at home, and um, he's talking to Dolly, his girlfriend, not wife, correct? I Yes, I believe so. And a train is coming, and he says he hates to leave his gal, and she goes, well, you got church is ending. <laughs> that church never ends. <laughs> and um, you got to go and say say goodbye to the to the people at the church yeah. because they have been praying for you for, six, for about 14 hours yeah. now. They like since sundown last night, they have just been up there just singing and just a praying for praying for your soul, sir. So exactly. you need exactly. to at least make an appearance because and, and, you may be leaving, but I have to stay in this town. Exactly. And you know, lunch is going to be served so that we can come back to church after lunch. So people are getting hungry. So let's go say goodbye to these people. So um, the people in the church are singing, let me fly. And they're standing up waving their arms like they're flying. Oh, yeah. And um, we see Dolly holding his hat because he has a uniform on with brass buttons. Mm -hmm. And his hat says Pullman Porter. So he's going to be a Pullman Porter on the train. He's gonna be one of the ten thousand men named George. His his new name now is George. And he's but he's getting out of town. And it does all make sense. So previously we've discussed in another podcast the plight of the Pullman Porters and how it um they were that was the way that you, if you were a black man, that you could have any attempt at accumulating some wealth because, and, and to say all that, just to say that they were woefully underpaid and it was really pennies, but this was a job and an opportunity that black men were able, able to have where they get on these trains and they're basically waiting on white people and stuff and, and they're working for tips and they're able to amass a bunch of money. And a lot of people were from the great migration that was going on at this time, people going north for industrial opportunities and to get out of the crazy south because, you know. They just burn your whole town down. Exactly. Um, so... This was a way, this was a job and it was a way towards a middle, middle class life. And a lot of people were able to set up there to buy houses and to pay for kids and go to nice places and to send their kids to college. And then those kids. These were, and these were the Porter, Pullman Porters who were able to save money instead of lose it gambling all the time as Brutus. Right. You know, and, and, the, and the, what in the beginning, the church and stuff, they were saying, how, giving all these examples and stuff from the Bible of how Brutus wasn't like this. And you're just, you could, I didn't, but you could have just written down everything that they said that this guy wasn't and be like, I 
guy is this? Yeah, this guy would not drink liquor. Um, this guy would not fornicate. And this guy would not. He's a good guy. He's, He's not, not going to be tempted by the North and yeah. light-skinned mm -hmm. women. Okay, well, he does go in and say goodbye to everybody, and everybody's so excited. We hear the train whistle. So he and Dolly go down to the train. He gives her a wad of cash. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it's probably all ones, but still, I mean. But at even that if point, it was all ones at that, at that point, man, that's yeah, like. Yeah, people were, yeah, betting with pennies and nickels Ooh. when they were tossing them devils. What did the, in that one movie, what did she call the dice? Devil's devil bones or devil's oh, yeah. devil I, something. Yeah. I couldn't remember. That was was that that was Cabin in the Sky, I think. Uh yeah. Okay. Yes. Because there was yes. very and I forgot to look it up, but like this movie had the, the same thing with like Cabin in the Sky and Hallelujah, where it just seemed that every black film had to have the the church and it was all very um like, like, like it's not Bible story, but just that kind of, uh, like a fable kind of thing. And like this mm -hmm. is, and kind of the the subtext is like this is what happens when you go away from the Bible. Yes. You know, like everything would fall apart, and it was just interesting that, like, the church is important in the black community, but it, like even within the black community, there are people who are like have issues with the church because issues of christianity they're like this is the religion of our oppressors yeah what's going on here and so it's this interesting duality of it mm -hmm. exactly okay well he is on the train with some other porters and they are polishing shoes on the train and one guy is teaching him look at the shoes the shoes determine what kind of tip you can get from these people mm -hmm. which was very interesting then they're at a hotel and because the train has stopped somewhere and there's dancing and there's piano and his friend jeff finds his girlfriend kissing someone else. And so Jeff punches the dude in the face and um, then he puts her in Brutus's arms and says, here, go dance with her. Maybe he thought, you know, because Brutus was a friend, nothing else would come from that. Wrong go, Jeff. There, yeah, there's a lot of things that happened in here that made me go, I don't think Eugene O'Neill is a black man, and I don't think that any of the people involved in the behind the scenes are black either. Because there was a lot of just things about, like, characters and what they did and their motivations that were like, this doesn't feel authentic mm. to me, but... Far be it from me. Then they're thrown out of the hotel. Is that the hotel where Mom's Mabley was? Might be later. I think so. I just remember that. Yeah, maybe because it was the fight. Because she kind of that was like her only scene. Like she comes in because she's like in a tuxedo and stuff. Yes. And she yes. was like running the place. It was her club. Okay, so now he's back on the. No, he's back. You see a train. And every time you see a train, that means they're heading to a new location. Mm -hmm. And the new now he's back with Jeff's girl again, uh, Freddie Washington, Washington. And 
he's telling her that he's been transferred to the president's private car. And this means he is moving upward. And um, she goes, uh, not so fast, dude, because I heard that Jeff tells me that the president's private car, you don't get any tips there. And Brutus is like, no, but I can be upwardly mobile mm-hmm. on that car. So Mr. Harrington, who wasn't the president. Which also, was- you, you kind of just alluded to it, but now it's cemented in fact that, yes, Brutus did take Jeff's girl. Which, yes. I mean, Jeff's girl, Jeff's on the porter, and it's obvious that you Undyne is her own woman, and she's going to go with whoever she wants to go with. Who's going to go where the money is? Yeah. And so then she's there. Also, it is important to point out, Undyne is way lighter skinned than Dolly, who was his girl back yes. home. So immediately it's like, oh, this guy got some money. Uh-huh. And now, now look who he's got. He can attract, he can attract what people would have said was an upper echelon because of her lighter skin. Yes. And also, she also kind of does play into the whole, like what was big at the time, the tragic mulatto. That's big. As soon as you see her, you're like, oh, She's no good. She's crazy. She don't know who she is. Ah. Which some people still say today. Ah. Aaron. <laughs> oh, the tragedy. Yeah. I don't okay. know. I don't. I, I never had that. I mean, I, I get where some people would. I, I don't know. I just. Because we laughed luck. all the way through. We laughed yeah. at everything. I just. <laughs> we made it all a joke. I'm like, nobody. Nobody thinks they fit in. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you have always been able to read a room and read people. Okay. So Brutus is with Mr. Harrington and he is over. See, he is supposed to be just like a robot doing everything, but not hearing anything. Right. He's a porter. He's he, nobody needs to know his name. His name is George, even though it's not his name, but that's what they called him. Either called him boy or George. That was your name. If you were a Pullman porter. And so it was, and remember what we also talked about how with the Pullman porters, they wanted them to be, they specifically hired the darkest skinned black men to be the Pullman porters because they thought that they would then be invisible to, mm-hmm. they wanted them to be invisible. It's really the Pullman port, Pullman, I think his name was George Pullman, wanted his Pullman porters to basically make the white people feel like the Civil War never happened. And you're sitting there and you just you just have these people and you, t- you don't think that there's a whole soul in a living human being. It's just this man, George, just lives to take care of you and it your wins. You. Yeah. yeah. And is so happy to do and, it. Yeah. Because that's the smile all the time. Not because he's happy to, to be there, but because the more he he's working for tips. So exactly, and as we said, you don't get tips in the presidential car. But he has overheard Mr. Harrington talking about a merger, and so he says, "Hey, you know, I'd kind of like to be in that pool um, for three hundred dollars." And uh, Mr. Harrington says, okay, 
because then he realizes, oh, he's been overhearing. Well, so he this could be in, a threat. He does it. I forget exactly what he disarms him with, but he disarms him with some knowledge of what he has been hearing from mm -hmm. other people. And so he kind of gives it to this guy because I was like, oh, man, like you got to that is That's all I was. That is a you are threading the needle there, my guy. You, This is a finesse type situation. This could go horribly wrong. But he he get, but he knows how the world operates and he gives them the information right there. Of like, well, hey, you know, people talk around me. This is all implied. He doesn't say it, but he's like, you know, people talk about me because they don't think I exist and that I don't have a brain and don't understand what they're talking about. I've picked up some information. This information will help you out, help you make some money. On the flip side, how about I put in some money into your operation? You know, he he establishes. I I'm kind of smart. So, it sort of sounded to me like. You know, if you if you don't want me to talk about this merger to anybody else, because I'm with other people too, then let me come in it in on it, and then Mr. Harrington's going okay. But but there are two things. One, you can't leave this car until Sunday when the merger is done, so you can't go tell anybody else. And two, when it's over, you go back to your old job. You're not up in the presidential car anymore. Yeah. So did you take that to mean, I took it to mean that he, he was going to be in on this, but that he was still getting punished because, yeah. you know, like it wasn't this, this, this guy wasn't the, the white guy that was like, man, my God, this Negro is really smart. I'm going to take him under my wing and show him the no, ropes. No, no, it no, was no, like, no, no. this guy gave me some information but then also the fact that this guy gave me some information means he's smart. And as everyone knows, you can't have a smart black man. So he like he was yeah. super threatened by that and was kind of like, all right, well, you have to stay here. And and that's all like and because of just where George is coming from in his life, he is completely fine with this. Like, yes. We're like, man, that's fucked up. But he, this is what he... He's an opportunity to make some money. Exactly. Okay, and he, yeah, he's fine with it. He is a large presence. Uh, he has a personality bigger than the whole train, and he has a smile that goes for miles, and he could be very threatening, but he knows how to play it so that he doesn't come across as, as threatening... Um, uh, violence but he's a very bright man man okay well that's paul robeson man yeah. you know like yeah. this is this movie is very problematic but it it's it, if you boil it down to its core it's sad but this is what we this is the best that we could do for paul robeson and this is yeah. why we can't have nice things because it was, <laughs> like we get to watch him and we get to be like, wow, I love that this guy exists. What a talent. This is, yes. but then it's like, but this was the best opportunity that he right. could have. Like I'm watching it. I'm like, I, I know that like for acting and stuff, but there's a part of him that he, he didn't really like this movie because of what the movie no, is. He, he hated this movie. Yeah. Okay. Ne uh, but 
it was a huge acting vehicle. Huge. I mean, we, yeah. we wouldn't have Paul, we wouldn't know who Paul Robeson was without these movies. And that's that that's that whole thing with I, like most minorities, definitely people of color, definitely black people, definitely minorities of getting your foot in the door. I mean, what did Octavia Spencer win? I mean, Viola Davis won her Oscar. Did she win? You know what I mean. I mean, Octavia Spencer, Viola Davis, like they play mates, the help. Right. You know, like they don't, it's not like they want to, Viola Davis wants to be playing roles like she played in Widows, you know? Right. But that's the, you don't get the Widows without taking the role in the help. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, he is back with Undyne which is just the perfect name for her. He has on a badass tuxedo. Oh, he looks And she's good. going, where did you get that? And he said, the boss sent me to his tailor. And so she starts laughing and going, oh, you're going to drop in the White House next. And she's laughing at him because he is kind of being uppity. <laughs> yeah. And he goes... Laugh at someone. You done laughed yourself right out of my payroll. She's like, oh my God, no, 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 no. There, I have several quotables coming. Oh, so that's just good because I didn't write them down. I should have written them down. I wrote them down, but I, I have to say here. Are you don't, Are you going to say them the way that they're written? Okay, no, good. I can't because. It's hard. Oh, it's the, the N word is every other word every other word yeah and that so i guess we'll get into the readables okay um and she's going no 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 baby no i didn't mean that and he goes any woman's baggage what gets heavier and heavier the longer you totes me you gotta change them to keep traveling light here's forty dollars and goodbye <laughs> like oh you can go back to Jeff. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that he chimes in on. <laughs> Give me my $40 then. Um, and she says, you ain't the first man gone down and out thinking everybody else is a fool. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to Undying because she has seen some men in her lifetime. <laughs> Now we're at a nightclub, and there's a little boy who does a tap dance. Did you? Do I we know who that is? I uh, I don't. Oh, he was so good. I I was looking to see if it was Sammy Davis Jr., but he wasn't. Um, with his girl. Oh, oh. So this time, Brutus is with his girl Dolly, Miss Ladue, and Jeff and Undyne come in. And they they pull up chairs and sit down with them. This is, is this, rather is this Dolly from the South. He brought her. Yes. Oh, they, I, they might be close to the South where they were. I don't or know. He brought her up. I don't. Okay. Well, maybe it was somebody else. I thought it was somebody else. Uh, it is somebody else. It's Belle Ladue. Okay. Yeah, because okay. I didn't think that it. Okay. okay. So it's not as awkward as I thought it would be if it had been his old girlfriend. No, he's like, he... but it's still awkward because Undyne isn't done with him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, she's the tragic mulatto. So, you know, she's got a, she's got a fight. 
for this guy. And she didn't need to even fight for him. She's just fighting with everybody who's around him. And she says, I knew you before you straightened your hair. Oh, Ooh, ouch. Well, Undyne and Belle get into a fight, which causes which a lot of hair pulling. Yeah. Well, and when you've straightened your hair in the 30s, it's not that strong. It's going to be pulled out. <laughs> And it's okay with Brutus because he goes, I was traveling light. Yeah. Oh, he's like, that's fine. She can get her, her lip can get all busted. I'll pick me up a new one. That's right. Yeah. yeah. New one at every stop. Then we're back on the train and we see them past Washington, past Richmond, past Savannah because they're going he back need, south. He needed to do a job for the boss in Georgia. Oh, the uh, the boss had asked him to be muscle for something. Oh, I I didn't understand all that. Okay. Okay. He should have Brutus should have had in in uh, his contract with the boss. I know he couldn't, but he should have what Paul Robeson had in his contract. I don't go south of the Mason Dixon line. No (laughs) south of the Mason Dixon. Okay. Well, Jeff is in a bad mood. Hobbs, because he took back Undine, and and then she's fighting the girl he's with for, you know, half a night. Uh, So Jeff is in a bad mood. And they're at the craps table, and Brutus is with Jeff. They're Um, still friends, even after... (laughs) You you basically... Jeff Jeff has no self-esteem. That's no. just, he's got none. Because he was still friends with Brutus. I guess it's bros before hoes. But then he takes back Undyne. So yeah. Jeff just. Because he, he really loves Undyne, I think. He probably does. But he, I, which is just wrong. It's just that, you know, Undyne has issues. She's had a very hard, tragic life. It's not going to, it's not going to end well. I mean, when you can look at someone and go, you got issues. Um, <laughs> actually, Jeff physically reminded me of Uncle Buster. Oh yeah, his, he was kind of like 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 slider and stuff. Yeah, his stature and his hair brushed back from his forehead. I didn't know um, Uncle Buster when he had hair. So, um, Brutus is at the craps table, and there's a woman at the craps table, and. Brutus is messing with her and she says, I'm going to cut you a brand new mouth with these <laughs> dice and give you something to put in it. You long black snake. You, I was really, this was the scene that I was most excited to hear teeny talk about because it was the gambling scene yeah. with the craps. <laughs> I had to keep pausing it to write these quotables down. Okay. So Brutus and Jeff get into a, a, a crap game. Just the two of them. And Jeff it's a, wins. That's a crap off. <laughs> a crap off. Jeff wins, but Brutus goes not so fast, and the dice are crooked. And someone pulls a knife because you've said Jeff pulls I, the knife. Yeah, Jeff pulls the knife, and he's go. You know, you can't say I'm crooked. And then a fight ensues, and Brutus ends up stabbing well, Jeff. Jeff is like half the size of Brutus. But I kind of feel like it was self-defense. Jeff came at him with the knife. Jeff is stronger, so he's 
I mean, I mean, Brutus is stronger. Jeff still has his hands around the knife, but Brutus plunges it into his chest. Yeah. And, Whoa. And then Brutus runs away. Now, this is the funny thing. This isn't so, my reheatables, Ma. Jeff is laying dead on the floor, and everybody goes back to their, their gambling. Like, nothing happened. He's just nothing, there nothing. dead. And they're nothing all just, here. yeah, they're all back to, and he's just on the floor. And then, they, and this was, this was, I, that's why I specifically wrote it down in my, re, I guess I'll explain it then. But yeah. It, it, uh, it, it was, it was visually offsetting and a touch funny. <laughs> um, and then the police arrive because they're just like, yeah, I don't know nothing. Dude is dead on the floor, but we're, we're just playing cards here. Not a problem. Next scene, you see prison uniforms. Yeah, the chain gang. Chain, and they're, they're just feet upon feet upon feet with chains um, on their legs and leg irons. And they're just walking and walking and walking because, you know, um, black people have been slavery is abolished but now we have the prisons which is back to slavery see ava duvernay's 14th netflix right or 13th it's 13th 13th and i've seen on ava duvernay mentioning it saying the 13th the 13th um and Brutus is singing because, you know, like... Well, it's Paul Robeson. He is a world-renowned he, bass baritone. So you got to let the man sing. And it's like, yeah, okay. So I killed the dude. So I'm on the chain gag and I'm breaking up rocks. I'm taking big rocks and making them into little rocks. And that's what I got to do. So I'm doing it now. But he's always looking for a way out. But in that song... I did write down one set of lyrics. Oh, good. Because I didn't, sometimes I don't pay attention to songs. The song is going, and part of it says, I'll dirty your mammy. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, prison guard takes Jones and takes him to the box. Uh, if you've seen Cool Hand Luke. Oh, that was the box. It wasn't the, the, it wasn't the, I thought that was the outhouse. Yeah. You think it's the outhouse unless you've, you've watched stuff. It's the box, the punishment box where you put people. Like in also in, what was that movie? The river bridge over the river Kwai. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, I thought, wow, he's going to put him in the box. You know, he hadn't done anything wrong that we know of. Well, at this point, this is when I was thinking, I'm sorry. I thought this was about a Caribbean dictator. Dictator, me too. Um, This this guy is like, he's on a chain gang in Georgia. I'm not seeing how this is happening. Right. Which is one reason why Paul Robeson said, me no, me no go below <laughs> the Mason takes the line. Okay, so he, the guard says, open the box. He opens the box and a dude just falls out because he hasn't had food or water. It's Georgia. He's been in that box for days. And so there's nothing left of the dude. He falls out and the guard gives Brutus the whip and says, now whip him. 
Well, no, but yeah, he does. But he says he yeah, he taunts the man who's passed out and says, "Ah, you're in there sleeping," which that's why I thought that it was the outhouse, and oh. he had gone into the outhouse and was and was sleeping. Although when he fell face first into the rock and still down on the ground, I was like, I, I don't think that guy's taking a nap. No. I feel like uh, he's probably passed out. And so then the guard gives him the whip and is like, all right, wake him up. Meaning to whip him. And Brutus says, "I the Lord will strike me dead if I lay my hands on him. And I'm like, huh, that's odd because you kind of did kill a man. But... um. Okay, Brutus. Okay, yeah. I understand. I wouldn't want to to whip my fellow man as well. So Brutus goes, I'm not going to do it. So the guard starts whipping both of them, at which point Brutus sees a sledgehammer. and No, a shovel. A shovel, okay. And uses it on the guard's head because... He picks up the shovel and, and... That you see him move the shovel and then it cuts away. And yeah. we'll get into why later. I'm sure we couldn't possibly show that on film. So Brutus is running and he gets in a rock truck. So again, they're taking huge rocks, breaking them up into medium-sized rocks. Then they're putting them in a truck where they can cart them off somewhere. Brutus gets in the truck mm-hmm. and then the operator of the the scooper... yeah. With the rocks, it's dump them on me. How did he survive that? He's Brutus, man. He and he, it, it, when you look at his face, he was kind of like, This is, I either get killed or I get, or I get away. Like, <laughs> these are my options. I, I just hit a white guard with a shovel. So, <laughs> in Georgia, okay. So he runs, uh, yeah, he's okay. He runs to Dolly's window. He says, Let me in now, get me a file, a change of clothes especially some shoes, I got to leave the country. And Dolly does it. Dolly is just like, okay. But, I mean, I get it. I I get where Dolly's coming from. But it just sucks that Dolly couldn't be like, motherfucker, you left me for that light-skinned hussy up north. (laughs) And here you are. There's probably dogs coming soon. And Those bloodhounds. Uh, you're leading them straight to my house. Then you're just going to be off and gone. Unbelievable. But no, Dolly doesn't say any of that. She just does what he tells her. And she finds a file, and they're able to file off those leg irons, which, n- no, that wouldn't happen. Anyway, um, what did Cool Hand Luke use to get him off? I forgot. Oh, remember he told the little boy to run and get something? Don't remember. Um, so the next scene, he is on a sh- a ship, and he is in the uh, furnace room yeah. shoveling coal into the furnace. So still working. And he's saying, where is this? Because uh, he he's getting out of town. That's all he cared it about. It was a ship. I got on it. That They didn't ask for anything. I didn't have to provide anything. They saw my shoulders. I took off my shirt. They saw my build. They said, yeah, you're hired. Right. Well, uh, so he's going, what's our next stop? And they go, the next big stop is Kingston, uh, Jamaica. And there are dance halls and there are girls. And uh, Brutus says, but but there are little islands first, right? They go, yeah, but nobody goes there. There's nothing but trouble there. 
and Paul Robeson jumps off the ship saying, trouble, here I come. So he's on the beach of the island. He is so happy to be free. He swam from the ship to shore, Mm -hmm. which, okay, obviously it wasn't shark season. And uh, he just passes out because that was a lot of exercise. And locals with guns come and take him to their what we would call the man in charge, the president, the their dictator, their El Jefe. Yeah, their dictator at the time. And he is wearing a top hat and a and tails, the jacket of a tails tuxedo. And um, he's being fanned by a servant. And somebody says, your highness, Mr. Smithers is waiting to see you. And uh, so the dictator says, show him in. A European man comes in with a few samples of cloth. Was it fabric or I don't understand what Who it was. Knows? It was wares. And it and it uh, gotten Mr. stolen from some indigenous people, I'm sure. Of course. And and the dictator says that's no. Smithers says that's four hundred dollars. And the dictator says, no, the contract says $300. And Smithers says, except in the contract, it says, except for an act of God. And so he's able to do his white man stuff. And Meanwhile, he's um, the only white man on the island. And they let him get away with this. I'm like, guys, look, look. And y'all got guns and stuff. How are you letting this one white man run you? But how did he get his top hat and his tails because of this dude? He could go out and do trading and come back with the stuff the dictator wanted. Yeah. Okay. Um, They bring in Brutus. And the dictator says, you come to make trouble on my island. And um, take him out and kill him, you know, get rid of him. And Mr. Smithers goes, wait a minute. I'll give you five silver dollars for him. Five silver dollars to buy another human being. And um, he buys him and he and uh, some other people are there and he goes, it's all right. He belongs to me. Yeah, Smithers says that. Old and Smithers. Brutus goes, look here, white man. I comes and I goes and that's my business. And um, obviously you want me to fight for you, but I don't fight on an empty stomach and so Smithers goes you want to get back at the dude who threw you out you oh oh, oh, just a minute I'm um okay they play a dice game Brutus wins then we go to Smithers import export wholesale prices business so so Smithers so Brutus shows up on the island and i'm sure that they've had this before where black people show up on the island and they're just like all right well he's nothing but trouble because this guy is a dictator so of course he doesn't want anybody a much smaller statue right statured man so he sees a threat to his power so he sells him. That's why he sells him to smithers to a white man so he's like all right don't have to worry about this guy that's right so Brutus tells Smithers, I don't know who you think you're talking to, 
but um, you can't own me. So I'm gonna come and go as I please. Peace out. I'll see you later. I'll be I'll be at work tomorrow, but the evening is mine. So he goes to the locals and teaches them how to play dice. And of course, he just runs the locals because the locals don't know how to play dice. So he's able to get shoes. Oh, I don't know shoes, but I know shirt, pants. He's able to get ginger, all of these goods. And so he shows up the next morning to where Smithers is because Smithers does import-export stuff. And Brutus has a whole trunk of his wares that he won from gambling the night before. And I think he's... he. I think he tries to strike a deal with Smithers of like 50-50 as Smithers is is offended by such a proposal. And so Brutus looks next door to Smithers and there is an open place and he says, all right, well, if you're not, if you don't want the deal that I'm proposing to you, I'm just going to set up shop right here. Who do you think that the townspeople are going to want to do business with? Me and my beautiful chocolate skin? Mocha Joe or, or Latte Larry? <laughs> yeah. Or or you, the, the face of oppression. Who do you think the people are going to come to? And so, man, Smithers is like, damn it. All right, because he's going to put Smithers out of business. There's only room for yeah. one. And Smithers is like, you're not supposed to be this smart. Yeah. So they do have a partnership. Um, uh, he says, look here, white man, is your nerve slipping? Okay, then we go back to his majesty. And his majesty is like, you know, I, I have all this money. I know what I'm doing. Send in the treasurer, who was a tiny, tiny person. <laughs> he was such a small, small person. And they get out the contract, and it's Smithers. You owe me four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Because and Smithers did not Smithers, but the um, the the top hat dictator guy. Because you know Smithers rolled him before, so he was like ah ah ah, coming back in trying to 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 do your white ways on me. Bring in the treasurer. He he has everything. But in tow with Smithers, is um. Brutus. Brutus. And he's, and so he's just standing behind him, but, you know, because for appearances and stuff, but. So so he goes, Smithers, you owe me $4,000. And the. I think it was 400 No, it was 1000 Oh, okay. Damn. It was. And and his, his treasurer is like shaking his head at the dictator going, no, dude. Mm-mm. And Brutus goes, that's right. I have seen an error myself. Actually, it's $5,000 you owe. <laughs> so, um, dude shoots Brutus several times. Well, no, this whole thing was very oh. much reminding me of the con that we are all currently living through, which is just yes. that, that because the top hat guy had, because he was like, okay, and I don't know if this is the amount, but we'll just say for sake of argument that he owed $2,000. And the last time he had got rolled, so he was like, all right, I'm going to have all of my things, uh, eyes dotted, all my T's crossed. 
it comes in. I owe you $2,000. And Smithers is like, no, you owe me $4,000. And he's like, how do I owe you $4,000? I have my treasurer here. My treasurer is saying, like, look at this. And then Brutus looks at it and he's like, oh, yeah, there is a mistake. You owe us $5,000. And it's just like, like, why? Because I said so. There's no, they can't point to anything. And Smithers looks to the treasurer, and the treasurer is like, you don't, but that's what they say you do. And right. It, and it's just that sort of, but what happened to uh, facts? They don't <laughs> exist. Right. <laughs> Alternative facts. So one of uh, Top Hat's dudes shoots Brutus. Well, no. So then, Top Hat, well, so then Top Hat is... So then Top Hat does what are like, okay, well, if that's the case, then surround him, boy. Like this guy right. is, you know, like, ar- like arms surround him. We're not just going to take this line down. Right. So they, they, like, they surround him. And I think the guy that shoots him, I think, I don't know if that's, maybe that's Lucifer Jr. I don't know. So, you know, they have him. And of course, Brutus is just la- like in the middle, just la- like beating his chest. Like, ha, ha, ha. What is this? You think that you can surround me? And he goes into this whole Brutus speech about, I, I think about how, like, try your, take your best shot. And then, like, dude, like, shoots him. Nothing. Like, well, he pulls the trigger, and there's a sound, a gunshot sound. Nothing. Several times. Several times. Nothing. And so then Brutus is just, like, laughing maniacally and just like, oh, um... Matter of fact, let me just let you in on a little secret. The only thing that can kill me is one silver bullet. Guess y'all don't have the bullet. Ha! And, right. And then... And he's, don't you all knows I got a charm? Well, that's like... That's like witchcraft shit. Mm-hmm. And everybody just bows down and Yeah, everybody's like, oh, shit. I guess he is... I guess God's basically saying that this is the man now. And Top Hat's like... Guys, like, this yeah. wasn't supposed to happen. And now Brutus is like, mm, whew, looks like I have my own Caribbean island now. He goes, my turn now, General. And I'm here now. And so Smithers is like, how'd you do that? And he said, you know, while well, something was going on, I put blanks in the gun, you know. Yeah. Um and Smithers says, that's what I call brains. Maybe Brutus says that about himself. It sounds very Brutus. Now, Brutus has his list of wants from Smithers. And Smithers is now Brutus's bitch. Yeah, and and Smithers does, you know, nobody likes it when, it when the turnabout is fair play. But man, a white man having to now wait on hand and foot a black man... I could feel it for I could feel it through the TV uh, how mad Smithers I bet Smithers the only thing that Smithers when he was writing in his grateful journal at night was just like I am so glad that there aren't other white people here to witness what has become of me oh my gosh I can't this is so embarrassing I'm so glad I'm the only one here but should I end my life? Because this is like, from what society and history and the history of the world has taught me, th- I didn't, I need to cease living right now because of the shame of this. 
So at this point, Brutus is trying to come up with his title. Yes. He's going, Mr. President? No. President King Brutus? King no. Brutus. Mm-hmm. President Jones? Uh, uh, um, uh, Joe. Emperor Jones. Emperor Jones. Yes. I will hence be known as Emperor Jones. And he uh, comes out looking like a very large, very dark Napoleon. Yeah. He just. The Napoleon hat. The, all the brass buttons, the feather, it, it I was, mean, looked like a fascinator. It was just a real interesting sort of of take on the, the I guess, because, the, yeah, the emperor and going the whole Napoleon route. I just thought it was very interesting that he went the European route and not, like, I'm going to be well, kingly. Yeah, that that is more of a uh, theme throughout the rest of the movie. Hmm. Go on the European round. Okay, so he tells Smithers, hey, you want to redo the palace? So, I mean, it is gaudy. It is like Ludwig on acid. <laughs> Gold. Gold crowns everywhere. And they Lots live on red. an island, so you know they had to import all of that in. So it's super right. expensive. So Smithers is making hand over fist. And red is Brutus's favorite color. And so, there, you know, you don't see it because it's black and white, but there's lots of red velvet drapes and lots of gold crowns. And he is living the life of Emperor Jones. Well, then we see a proclamation that is posted that says the regular tax on homemade rum and coffee will be doubled today. Um on in order to pay off the national debt (coughs) excuse me to mr smithers drawn up by me the second year of my reign i was like damn this sounds really familiar that this guy's in power and his friends are making just money left and right from the from the people who are being taxed and it's, it's it reminded me of the, like, the people who paid for the wall but the wall money went to um man of yeah went to the, yeah making like manafort, rich not manafort but um bannon steve bannon took the money that all these people sent in their quarters and dimes and you know scrimping and saving to send money to Washington to build the wall to keep those damn shithole country people out. And Steve Bannon took the money and just... Guys, look at my new boat. Yeah. Oh, have you seen my Hamptons house? Oh, yeah, it's not really a house. But then, it's it, an but then it also reminded me of, well, well, you know, America. It was like, all right, well, we're taxing you. And then people got real mad apparently over being taxed and we're like nah man and but uh, i mean that's that's what the the history books teach us is that they got super mad over the taxation and the north did and the south was like "Eh, whatever and then they heard about like that case where the slave guy could be free and they're like oh they're coming for our slaves now yeah (laughs) i'm ready to i'm ready to revolt so i was i believe it's wartime i was just like dang this guy like look at this guy just leaning real hard into the european history books Mm -hmm. well i see you read brutus 
I yep, see the your palace red. has been redone. There are mirrors everywhere. Everybody has on the European fancy clothes. Others are shining Brutus's shoes now. Smithers comes in and says, hey, dude, because now they're like, you know, on equal footing because Smithers has made so much money. Well, but Mitch McConnell. Yeah, but they're not he, on equal footing because, I mean, he's still well, the emperor. So, well, and Smithers is still white. So I, but, I, I um, guess I guess so. We have to I guess that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I, That's what I'm saying. Actually, though, I think if it's like Smithers is push come to shove, motherfucker. What do you think is worth more? And sadly, still to white Day. skin <laughs> that's why you love me so so smithers comes in and goes dude there was a riot in the village last night i told you that tax on coffee was a mistake i think it was the tax on rum but okay smithers and smithers says you've got him squeezed dry yeah like they're they're the pissed right now my guy they are very angry this now, is a Caribbean Brutus, country. This is look at the life. It's it's a very nice, peaceful lifestyle. We don't have a winter. This is wonderful. Look at this. They and I'm thinking they might not have snakes on that island. It might be close to Barbados. Oh, I know. You imagine it would be paradise. It was like you have it. You have a nice thing going, but of course you can never be satisfied. You never be satisfied. Um. And Brutus goes, I said it would take me three years. I got six months to go before I walk out. <laughs> I was good. This I is my three-year plan. Dry. I got six months to go, but um, I walk out and I'm top dog. And uh, a little stealing like you, big stealing like me, I know it's wise who knows when, uh, and uh, Smithers says, I know it's wise to know when it's time to, gotta know when, when to hold them. Yeah. Know when to fold them. There's, a, there's this guy, his name's Kenny Rogers. Uh, you may know him. He's the gambler. Um, Before his facelift. So. Okay. So, so Brutus is like, no, man, I still got six months to amass some more fortune before I'm out of here. So I don't know what you're talking about. And Smithers goes, summon your court because there's nobody around. So he hits his gong. He's like, they're all at lunch, man. But when I hit this gong, they'll come a running. And Smithers is like, oh, you are so drunk off of power. And so uh, he... Uh, no, it's wise. Who um, Summon the court. And I wrote, oh, my God, the outfit. That's when he had the feathers. The feathers too much. Or he needed, this is what I wrote, he needed Coco Chanel's advice. Take <laughs> off the last thing you put on before you leave the house. Because I know those feathers were the last thing you put on. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's we have nice. we we have the Archduke and Duchess of Manhattan. We have the Marquise and Marquesa Which, of I was Newark. Like, wait, of Manhattan, New York? Yes. What is this? I oh, wrote it okay. down. Okay. The Marquis and Marquesa of Newark, the Marquise and Marquesa of Baton Rouge, the Lord and Lady Baltimore, the Lord and Lady Richmond. I was it, yeah, that was the, of Manhattan made me laugh. 
I know. I did a spit take. I was like, and then Newark. I was like, they should have led with Newark. (laughs) It would have been much more hilarious if they had started with Newark. Uh, So then he goes, bring in the prisoners. And there are five black men who are chained together. And he goes, give them 50 lashes apiece and lock them up which is exactly what a European person would have said. And remember the whole reason that he that he's on the run and stuff is because he said that he would not whip his fellow inmate. Exactly. He was like, God exactly. will strike me down. But absolute power, power corrupts, corrupts. Absolutely. And now, after you've done that, go and burn the whole village and people's eyes are getting bigger and bigger like no dude so he's in his bedroom just a whistling uh, no um he hears whistling and he says who dares to wake up the emperor and smithers has news and where's all your court ain't you noticed your servants and guards aren't around oh that's when he rings the gong Mm -hmm. and no one comes and Smithers says the ship is sinking and the blooming rats have slung their hooks, which I don't know what that means. I, I think it's, I think when a boat starts sinking, like the rats know it. And so they the rats go, get off first. Yeah, yeah, I think. And so Brutus says, I reckon I overplayed my hand this once. I resign right now. Don't need that extra six months. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's been real. I, I can uh, see what, what's going on. All right. Toodaloo, everyone. <laughs> and he goes, uh, uh, I need my horse. And Smithers goes, they, they take the horses first. So Brutus <laughs> goes, feet, do don't, your duty. Don't or fail like me Poppy now. would say, feet don't fail me now. It's like that twink. Um, and he goes I'm fine I'm fine I'll be at the edge of the forest by dark and he has a silver bullet and the only person big enough to take down Brutus Jones is Brutus Jones so he has some bullets in his gun the last bullet is a silver one if he has to he'll take himself down right and that's been at an hour no not yet. Almost. Almost. Uh, we hear the drums again from the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. I wrote, oh, no, the drums are for you. Smithers talks about how scary the jungle of the woods are at night. And it has been an hour. We only have uh, like 17 minutes 15 minutes. Left. minutes left. Yeah. This podcast is going to be longer than the movie. It is. But um, if you choose to watch it, just know that... Uh, uh, language is a difficult thing. Well, we'll get into it with the reheatable okay. stuff. Okay. So. so instead of people of color, we're doing people of European, European descent, descent today. Well, we had the cop that came in. You had the, uh, like the guards and stuff. You had Smithers. Then you had the train. So I would say that there was a reasonable amount of people of European descent. Like they mm-hmm. existed in this film. They didn't have a, a bunch of roles, but there were some speaking parts and whatnot. The biggest role was Smithers. Smithers was definitely the biggest role, but yeah. Okay. So now we are to nerd alerts. You've done a few. I'm sure you have more. Yes, my nerd alerts. My nerd alerts. Okay, so 1933, what was going on? They started construction of the Golden Gate Bridge. 
Wow. Oh, I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine building that bridge. I can't imagine like trying to look at plans and knowing like, whoop, like that'll never work. That'll work. That'll never work. Yeah, it's not. There's no way. You cannot span this. This. Yeah. Uh, Congress voted in favor of Philippines independence. And that was against the wishes of President Herbert Hoover. And I think FDR would have probably been like, if I had only known. But I just thought that was interesting. The 12th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, and that changes Inauguration Day from March 4th to January 20th, starting in 1937. Please, God. And that was to cut down on the lame duck period. Because we have had... Four years of a lame duck. So please. Hitler was appointed chancellor of Germany by the mm. president, Paul von Hindenburg. Mm. It's kind of weird that he had Hindenburg was his name. And like, yeah, anytime I think of Hindenburg, I, I think of that blimp just going up in flames. And pretty much that's what he did to Germany. Because all through 1933, Hitler mm. was just up to Hitler shit. The Lone Ranger broadcast for the first time on radio. Really? Mm-hmm. In March, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was sworn in, and he also gave the first fireside chat because this was midst of the Great Depression, and so he starts doing his New Deal things. It's and great. You thought it couldn't get worse. Look up the New Deal and what FDR did. It's fascinating. Um, the board game Monopoly was invented. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to go back to, to Hitler doing Hitler things, Dachau was completed and opened, and oh, the Gestapo wow. was established. Oh, God, I still have nightmares. 1933. I st- when I was a little girl, I used to, I've said this before. I don't know I used here. to lay in bed and hold my breath so that when the Nazis came, they would think I was already dead. And you're, I used to practice that. You're an American child. And both parents are of German descent. You and I'm your father explaining. are you? Didn't Uncle Nick have blue eyes? Because you and your father. No, he had brown eyes. Okay, so there were Fancy. three of you with brown eyes, but then other two were like blonde and blue eyed. Right. With so the they last name. would have left us in the dust in a minute. But with the last name Weber, like Weber. I think they. I mean, you might have been put in some questionable circumstances of like now of. Of like, oh, what did you do for your family to survive kind of thing? But Oh, my God. I went through that. I went through such survivor guilt when we were in Germany and you were born. I would, I thought, what would I do? Like if the Gestapo came and said, okay, you have to tell on your neighbors or I'm going to take your daughter away. I thought, oh, my God, would I be able to say... Well, obviously, they would have taken you away anyway. Well, I got news for you, Ma. When they saw me, like, your goose was cooked. So In the oven. You would have been down in town square, your head shaved, you know, doing who knows what to how many men. So that's... uh, (laughs) It's true. But I did think of that a lot the first time we were there. But that's how... I mean, it's very easy to say never again. I would never. But when it's your... Like, what would you do to protect your family? And to, you know... Yeah. So that's why you can't 
you can't say it'll never happen again. And you can't say that that kind of stuff only happens other places because right. Cause it's happening right here, right now. The only time that anything has really changed in this country and in history and genocides have stopped, people had to fight. So, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, yeah. a refugee by the name, a refugee arrived in America, 1933, and his name, Albert Einstein. I knew what you were going to say before you said it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so proud of myself on that one. All right. So, at that, I only went up to September 1933 because I was, that was what this movie was released into. That's so then right. I have nerd alerts about Paul Robeson because he was okay. a bass barit baritone. He was a civil, civil rights activist. He was very outspoken against fascism. In 1933, so he had sympathies for the Soviet Union and communism because the Soviet Union um, preached, you know, that all men were created equal. And that was kind of their pitch to black people, a lot of black people and a lot mm -hmm. of just a lot of a lot of Jewish people, a lot of people in general was like, hey, look at us we're living the dream and it's kind of like but every like nothing absolutely works like it, you have to have mixes of things um and and also paul ropes in so those are i mean he was black so that's a strike against him he was outspoken against fascism so that's a strike against him and that he was sympathetic toward he didn't he wasn't hating on the soviet union so he was sympathetic to the soviet union and communism and he was critical of the United States government because, again, he was a black man. Right. So he ended up being uh, blacklisted by the McCarthy era, in, like during the McCarthy era. Um, I would like to have seen him confront Joseph McCarthy. Well, he couldn't do, like... I know. You know? I mean, geez. So he was... He went to Rutgers University and he was the third black student at the time to ever have been enrolled there. And when he was wow. there, he was the only one. He was, ended up being on the, all, on the football team and he was an all-American football player. And he was also the class valedictorian. Wow. Yeah. And 80 years later, he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, well done. <clears throat> He graduated with an LLB from Columbia University while playing in the NFL. Dang. Like, this dude was smart. Yes. Um, he never made a film that he was completely pleased with. And it's one of those things that we talk about on this podcast a lot, how two things can be true at the same time, that... This was his best role that he could yeah. ever get. And also, it's not a great role for, no. for you know, for like the, the, the black community and the depiction of no, black people and all of that. But if he hadn't had this role, he wouldn't have become Paul Robeson. And I mean, he still probably would have become Paul Robeson, but he wouldn't have had the fame attached to his name, which got him into doors and opportunities to then help with the civil rights movement. Right. And he was to, very outspoken with that. For his voice to that. be heard. Mm -hmm. He was very, very much outspoken with that. 
So those were my nerd alerts. Excellent. Okay, we're to reheatables, and we usually start with negatives. Oh, I got so many <clears throat> reheatables. My negatives were uh, the excessive amount of the N-word. The arrogance and ego of the Brutus character. Forgetting where you came from. Uh, you know, like taking on all of the European crap of of the finery and the and go whip them and he, like he became a leader, but he for he didn't remember where he came from, and so he took on the European way of being a leader, which was whip the people who burn the burn the town of the people who don't do what you want them to do, whip the people you don't want what that don't follow you make um take all of the money yourself and you know let the people still starve well this is one of like the first three things that you said the excessive use of the n-word the i forget what the second one that you said and the arrogance the and arrogance ego. and ego and the like european ways to me those are and i have nothing to support this so it's just my opinion i feel like that comes that's one of the the reasons why i could say like oh this was written by a white man yes because like i go ahead well because like the use of the n-word like even at the time and i i have it in my i have it when i get to oh char so at the time when this was a, a play it was originated and it was criticized at the time and specifically the lead who played in this charles sydney Gal gilpin he went to Eugene O'Neill and was like, look, man, like, you have a lot of the N-word in this. Like, come on, we don't need to have it in there. And Eugene O'Neill, he, he had a sailor's past and stuff, and so he, you know, talked like a sailor, like they say, and he based this guy off of a friend that he had who was a black man from the North, and this is okay. how... And so it, it's kind of that Quentin Tarantino argument yeah. of, well, this is this is... So his argument was like, "Whoa, well, this is how they speak. This is this is real." And Charles, in the other side of that, the other argument, the criticism of that is, like, yeah, but this is the only depiction that people are gonna see. It's not like right. like white people, and you get this multitude, and you get to see the spectrum of all whiteness. Like this is it for black people, and it's just look at the country that we're living in. I got Stonewall Jackson and Lee monuments going up left and right around me. They're naming shit after Jeb Stewart. And he was a fucking idiot. Do you know what he did at Gettysburg? Dumbass. And they're naming shit after him left and right. Maybe we shouldn't like just say it so much. Have it in there at all, really. And so when he was playing the role, he started saying Negro instead of the N-word. Oh. And that's kind of why he's not in the movie. I don't I mean kind of oh. why. That's why. So then when they were going to make a movie of it, you know, Eugene O'Neill was kind of like, I think we need... No, not the movie. When they went to do a revival a couple years later, they didn't bring him in. That's how they got Paul Robeson. So that's why I think it's super interesting because Paul Robeson got this movie you know, he he wasn't all that quick and great to just be tossing out the N-word left and right, right on here. But it's like we say, without this movie, he's not Paul Robeson, like first black film star, you know? So, but 
Yeah, and the whole thing of like, well, of course, if you give a black man the same opportunities and the black man's in charge, he's mm-hmm. going to do exactly what we did. And that's 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 what we're living with continuously today. That's why like black people, oh, white people can have guns and can arm themselves and protect their family, but you can't have a black person pr- being able to protect their family or, or like any of that stuff that's all gone through it is just... This whole fear that basically a fear of karma, karma is real, but it's not going to be at the hands of black people like the karma and stuff that that will manifest in other ways anytime. And that's that's why this movie just irritated me so much because it was just you made this assumption and then he's going to do what all these inbred kings and queens and power hungry white people have done. And it's like my my man. He doesn't have the same experiences like like where his people come from and stuff. And not to say that he wouldn't do this. Maybe he would. But just just that this is the only depiction that we're getting. This is the only sample size that we have. And it's this guy. And look, see, this is why they need to stay in their place. This is why they need to know their role. Right, right. Yeah, it was very frustrating. And then at the very end, spoiler alert, after all he's been through, he's asking forgiveness of his Lord and Savior after he's done all this shit. But it's okay. All that's wiped off because he's asking forgiveness. Yeah, but that goes in with the whole, like all of those movies always had, they always had something like a tie into the church. Yeah. But even well, the even, church is huge in in the whole black community, uh, and still is. Yeah, they still have like that's how Tyler Perry got to be Tyler Perry was doing his like church like kind of plays and stuff. Like it's, it's still, and I get it because it's it, it's something to to hold on to, and it's something to it's it's community. It's organ. It's being around people, community. It's I understand the fellowship, the hopefulness, the hanging that hanging on to to just that belief and stuff. Like I get it, but but that goes into what I'm saying about that creates a monolith. That that's all that there is, and it's right. like yeah, that that's a big chunk. It's very important, but that's not. That's just not like. The be all the end, end all, all of all. black the black experience in America, right, right. Pray hard enough; it's gonna get better. You've been praying a lot of years. It's twenty twenty. It hasn't gotten better. Well, okay, your negatives. Mm. Oh, I have like the the tragic mulatto. That was just right off the bat. Of course, well, of course, it's got to be the light-skinned woman. And then... How did you relate to that? I don't understand. And, and, and then I have it I have it elsewhere. Um, but Freddie Washington had to darken her skin. They had to put pancake had, makeup on yeah, her to darken to her. Because it looked her. like, Paul, with... With the difference in the skin tone, it looked like he was with a white woman. And the my God, yeah, you could not have that happen. So, so do poor, not open that door. So poor Freddie Washington, like basically had to do this role in kind of like not a, a, 
Blackface? Yeah. I mean, brown face. You know? Yeah. And I am not canceling Freddie Washington. I ride for Freddie Washington. No, no. I love Freddie Washington. It was all because of In my good reheatables, I have I have Freddie Washington quotes because I love Freddie Washington. Okay. Okay. I, I already said like the N word. Um Okay. We are we kind of mentioned already, but when Jeff was dead and how they the the people just went back. So so Jeff died in a black club, you know, segregation. So they just go about it. And this is again another thing of like a white man wrote this because I damn well sure know that Jeff died. They're going to take care of the body. They're going to move the body. They're not leaving Jeff in the middle of the floor for the yeah. white policeman on his patrol to just come strolling in and find the dead black man on the floor and nobody's done anything. I'm just like, right. that's some pretty racist bullshit. You think that like black people would just like, if that's how savage is this, the, you just leave a yeah. dead man on the floor. I was like, yeah. I don't know who's, I don't know if this is Dudley, Du Bois or Eugene, but fuck you. <laughs> Um, uh, <clears throat> how like these movies in the thirties, the Hallelujah, Cabin in the Sky, all of like the whole religion thing. Um, oh, perish the thought that we see a black person commit violent against a white person. Ooh. I mean, my Ooh. God, rather Can, have rocks dumped on me than face the like, wrath of that. How traumatic! Like I, just because you know, yet again this week get to witness white people violence against an unarmed black man look at me i'm I'm here i'm able to do this podcast perish the thought of of white people seeing violence at the hands of black people just oh oh my god clutch the 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 white person with the assault rifle being able to just walk her down the street and and the police are, are like very nice being, and everything being told is good. That guy he's able just to came, live through that. Yeah, go, go to his house. Took him in. He's still alive. He's gonna see a trial. When last I, I don't know. Like I am not a legal scholar, but I'm pretty sure that the only thing that you can get the death penalty for is taking another person's life, and I think it has to be like premeditated. Even at that. A lot of people aren't even putting people to death anymore. So I get confused when walking to your car and turning your back on police gets you shot. I get confused when um, destroying property, the punishment for that last time I checked is not death. So that's a, that's, yeah. But glad, glad y'all white people didn't have to to see that sheriff get hit with the shovel. Don't know. Don't know if y'all would have bounced back from that. Um, this reminded me of Hollywood Shuffle in how, you know, you think like Paul Robeson, valedictorian of his class, lawyer, all of this stuff. And remember in Hollywood Shuffle when he's, when they're having like, you know, I am classically trained and he's like, "Eh, excuse me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like having to, to have it like this is the role that he has to play. Right. And that's why, like, yeah, Hollywood Shuffle. That this is look at this. 1933. That movie was in the 80s. We're in the 2000s now. 2020s. Um, 
I mean, we're we're two decades into the 2000s. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, people born in 2000 are about to vote. So that's And why. they better. <laughs> Every motherfucking one of them and, better vote. And we did like stereotypes and stuff. So those were my bad reheatables. Okay. My possible my positive reheatables. Mm-hmm. Paul Robeson's presence and his smile. Oh yeah. Oh my Infectious. god. I would say he's um, oh go ahead, go ahead. Wonder what my question mark was. Um I kinda like that he went crazy at the end because he needed to go crazy to see all that stuff that he had done. And and then I, it was a positive reheatable that he did ask the Lord's, I guess, uh, for redemption. Because isn't that what religion is all about? Yeah. Forgiveness um, and stuff. So so I put that over there. Um, that, those were my positives. What are your positives? Okay. In 1945, Freddie Washington said this because she was extremely light-skinned. Um, 1934's Imitation of Life, that's about a woman who can, a black woman who can pass and she passes, so she turns her back on her black mother and is out there living her best white life. Um, so this is what Freddie Washington. Because she has that baby as well. Yeah. Well, Freddie Washington was very light skinned, so she was always asked about it. And Freddie Washington was also all about that civil rights life. And she said, quote, frankly, I do not ascribe to the stupid theory of white supremacy. And I try to hide that fact. And I don't, and try to hide the fact that I am a Negro for economic or any other reasons. If I do, I would be agreeing to be a Negro makes me inferior. And that I have swallowed whole hog all of the propaganda dished out by our fascist-minded white citizens. Well done, Freddie. Freddie Washington. Freddie Washington also had a quote about how when any people's rights, inalienable rights, are denied, that the only thing you have to do is fight. And she was like, and I fight. So... And we saw her fight. I wouldn't want to get in a fight with her. I'm just She'd saying. Because like, people were always like, oh, you know, you could pass. And she was like, pass for what? Because that would mean that, that that I believe this bullshit that y'all are right. trying to tell me. Right. That's right. Sometimes you... And you know what? Freddie Washington, she was light-skinned, but that's because both of her parents were of mixed ancestry. So it wasn't like she had one parent that was one way or what, you right. know. It was like just, you. Yeah, it, it was just that. And sometimes, you know, you're able to see things and you're like, this is some bullshit that y'all been up there espousing and hoodwinking people. Okay. Another good example. This is how I like how this was a pre-code film and it reminded me of like the divorcee and it just was like this, like, well, what if, like, what if the code hadn't gone into effect yeah. and stuff then maybe i wouldn't be so like well this was definitely made by white people and then you know it would have just been like oh look this was the beginning and and then look at all of this awesome stuff that we got but no this is why we can't have nice things why we can't have nice things um pullman porters and how they like you know they made it out to be like oh 
how this and I wondered if it was supposed to be kind of a joke of like he has this super important job and he's going to be a Pullman porter but I didn't take it that way because I know how important Pullman porters were to the upward mobility of black people and right. as we've previously discussed how they led the movement for the laid the bedrock and the foundation organizational wise for the civil rights movement in the 60s that a lot of those people were form, former Pullman porters who went through a Pullman porter strike and they they let, like knowing how they did that laid the foundation for organization that was super important for the civil rights movement um the fact that that Paul Robeson was able to have his shirt off so much and show yeah. his strength that's one of those pre-code things that they definitely put the kibosh on bet. showing him in all his super black masculinity mm -hmm. I was like yo I mean, it's funny to see him like now because now he would have had to have like an eight pack and like a right. muscles yeah. and stuff chiseled and such, but no, just of a regular body. But then also, I guess the battery heatable is like body shaming and how like look, he was completely fit, but now when you look at it, you're kind of like, well, you, you should probably do a little high intensity training, interval yeah, training, a few sit ups, maybe. Yeah, I know. Shame on us. I didn't think that. I thought he had a really nice body, truth be told. I, I just liked him. I just loved his presence. And I just he was feel so, so personable. Yeah. yeah. I like how this dispelled the myth about black people in swimming. He swam to another island, just jumped, just jumped from the boat and swam to another island. Now, in in that scene. So he he like he totally did a ma. Yeah. Hey, die. Because he acted like he was going to totally dive. <laughs> and then you saw the next scene where he just jumped. Yeah. So there was no head first into the ocean for dude. Yeah. So I don't I know did... if I would dive into. You got to take in the height. He's on a boat. The boat's moving. I don't know how fast, even if it's moving slow. I did. That island. That... And you're I like. I got to tell you. I did, that did register with me, like, when did he learn to swim like that? Because swimming freedom, in the ocean baby. is... Freedom, Well, me, it was probably, I'm going to do this to live rather yeah. than I got any technique going on here. I mean, all swimming really <laughs> the way he is... jumped in was, I got no technique. <laughs> oh, no, I think, it was, I think it was wise. He was like, if I dive, I don't know if I've ever... If you've never dove before i don't know if that's like the the go-to move for you there again yeah how about i not go in head first i think he made the wise decision and then swimming really is just pushing water away from your face that's really pretty much all it is it's just moving water away from you just the girls with girl with the best shoulders in the world <laughs> well but I was, I'm also the girl who was just dropped into the into pools as a baby. So I don't know anything. I, I'm just I'm very, very confident in water because it's all I've known. I was like, this is in like... Germany. Yeah. yeah. You swim or you die. Yes. <laughs> she will be good. If she can't swim, she does not deserve to be a person. Exactly. <laughs> um, Okay. I don't want to say that this is necessarily a good thing, but I mean, the guard had 
had it coming to him. Uh, you know, and we don't know if he killed the guard. We just know that he, no, I he think knocked him out. Of dazed, like when I dazed the snake, like I dazed and confused him. Yeah, and then I would, then I did kill him. Um, let's see. Oh, well, the last scene when he's like losing his mind in the jungle, I just thought of National Treasure Delroy Lindo's performance in The Five Bloods. I was like, oh, this is like, I wonder if they were inspired by this movie and the play. Because it was very similar, you know, the the monologue. There was a, I mean, he did an outstanding, I'm sure he wasn't nominated, but he did an outstanding acting job all by himself going through that jungle, going through all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... There was a part of me that made myself laugh really hard because I imagine that like Marlon Brando would have probably read this play and been like, I really want to do this. How can I do it? And I either he didn't read it. And so we don't have the unfortunate Marlo Brando in blackface doing the Emperor Jones or he did. And we just don't know about it. Or he did. And somebody was like, Marlon, like, no, 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 just Uh, your time is coming, but not right now. But I just, I just, I just imagine, cause I mean, and that's, I could see why, so I don't fault Paul Robeson. He, I got how many soliloquies in this? Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. I mean, but I, I mean, somebody's going to do it. Cause you never felt like he was overact. Well, I didn't feel like he was ever overacting in that. He was literally going crazy and mm-hmm. we saw him in the stages of going crazy and you have to think this movie very easily could have been a white person in blackface yeah like it it really easily could have been that okay my i think this is my last good reheatable new york independent cinema i mean it's it paved the way for that. Like, tr- you know, I mean, it's problematic, but it was made outside of like Hollywood wasn't making yeah. this movie. So. That's true. Okay. And Don't- the fact that we could still find it as opposed to Porgy and Bill's. Yeah. Okay. LVP. My LVP was the excessive use of the N word. Hmm. Also, like, know that this is a hard ER. This isn't, like, this isn't some rapping, like, dropping it with a soft A. This is N-word hard ER. Like, where you're like, every time you hear it. It's, yeah, you know, really. it's not the, it's not the, the Samuel L. Jackson. Like, no, it's so excessive. Okay, your LVP. My LVP, or I've come up with a new category that I think I'm going to like shoe into LVP. Um, I like the, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> um, And my LVP of the, this is why we can't have nice things. I already went into it. Oh, we'll get into it. I think probably in the, the tasty nuggets or, or something oh yeah and the tasty nuggets but um this is why we can't have nice things because you can't show a black man hitting a white man with a shovel yeah well that's, that's true 
and the, and ask and but why can't we why couldn't we in 1933 and the answer to that is this is why we can't have nice things think about exactly. it in your head like like really think about it like why couldn't can't we show a black man hitting a white man with the shovel who so deserves it you think about it like but why can't we i mean you know like they just think about it and that's why we can't have nice things mvp okay so uh, of course just paul robeson that's my mvp was paul robeson but mine was how this equates to donald trump and power corrupts and how my god he has taken power corrupts to a whole new level and and it it, it this is exact i mean you can see the parallels as you're watching the movie, it's like, oh my God, this is so Donald Trump. And and if Donald Trump was Emperor Brutus, if Donald Trump was our president, but he looked like Paul Robeson, what then? Like, like would it even have gotten this far? No. No. <laughs> you know? No. no. I mean, Mitch McConnell would have put an end to this a long time no. ago. I did not do a recasting because I just couldn't imagine how you could possibly recast this. I did a recasting, but only oh. with, well, just two. I already mentioned it, how, like, you know, like, it just made me laugh. I don't know why specifically thinking of Marlon Brando, of just, like, I just, I just, it just cut to a scene, and he's just with his agent going, I want to do that for Jones, and his agent's like, you can't. And he's like, no, Why? I can't. I want to do it. I love this part. I love this there role. There was still blackface back in 33. I know, but this is 33, but I'm like in the 50, in the 50s, 60s. I just picture like like you you know that there's some untold story of some actor and that's you know why I know because Tropic Thunder exists. So you know that there's somebody <laughs> This an ill-fitted, you know, of to show how because Othello, look how yeah. many people, you know, go after Othello and stuff. But I, you know, I, I just, I, I just pictured Brando of like this is such a great part. I'm gonna play. So, so did you do Smithers? No, I. So that was it. I just did brute, and then like my Brutus, I was like, wouldn't it be great though? You know, I mean, you have to like change the you know the excessive use of the n-word and stuff but it is a good part so i was like octavia spencer as brutus da- oh as brutus yeah i only did two people what? it was just brutus. it was just that was it i was like oh marlon brando as brutus because then you think of it and you think of a like a white guy and it kind of takes away a lot of the the things that make this movie so uncomfortable and that's a that's a very interesting like think it through and an interesting thought thing because then he is just doing all of the european stuff but he's a european and so you're like okay and then and then you're just like that's fucked up that you just change it to marlon brando and a lot of this movie isn't as fucked up like this is why we can't have nice things and then i went with like okay keep it the same but like, yeah, Octavia Spencer, she would be fantastic. 
just just like you know comes in he's like a, a dictator of course there's still all the problematic like becoming european and power corrupting but right right but other than well i mean that's so current you know it's just it's it's just see i i like looking at it from an actor role it does seem like a meaty character like most characters are exactly and that's the thing most characters aren't likable like the best characters aren't likable the best characters are but it's just kind of like fucked up that like can you imagine if walter white in breaking bad was a black guy like we would still be like man yeah but then he, but then he gets he's a white guy and so you like take out all of that and that's like that's fucked up like this is why we can't have nice things <laughs> okay Tasty nuggets. Let's see. We did my Freddie Washington needing to darken her face. Paul Robeson's contract prohibited. Yeah, him working south of the Mason-Dixon line. Um, Paul Robeson regretted the movie because it deviated too much from the Eugene O'Neill play. Mm. The movie, which was one hour, 17 minutes, only had 45 minutes of the original Eugene O'Neill play in it. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. It was the film debut of Billie Holiday. Now I got to go back and see it. The United Negro Improvement Association condemned this film. Yeah. This is what it'll say. Like, this is, like, unbelievable. But again, without this film, we wouldn't have Paul Robeson. Yeah, but it just sucks that, like, can you just imagine that you're you're in the 1933s and it's like, yeah, Paul Robeson, he's the the first instance of an African-American getting top billing in an American movie. And you just want to be like, yeah. And then you're just like, how many times you guys got to say the N word with a hard ER? I know. And, then, and, you're just, and, and of course he like does all this stuff and is, ends up being just as like bad, if not worse than, than the white man, just basically emulating him. Like exactly. this is what we get. This is what we get. And we can't have nice things. Yeah. Also, remember, keep in mind when you would see black people on film, what were they doing? Singing, dancing, being happy or serving, but being happy to serve. Yeah. Stormy weather. It was always the like they were singing and dancing, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, he's not just singing and dancing. No, he's taking over and oppressing his own people with European ways. And then he just goes freaking crazy and then in the jungle. he goes crazy. And you're like, seeing yeah. the Hanks. Seeing them Hanks. So my, my, good, my tasty nuggets, I said I was made outside the system. It was from private money, from neophyte wealthy producers. Um, and Paul Robeson, he had started the play in the U.S. and in England. Um, this pre-code, so to piggyback on the divorcee, because I thought this was interesting, that pre-code, because remember the code came into place since the 1930s, but it wasn't, the code wasn't enforced until Joseph Breen's got more power. So when it says pre-code, it's referring to Breen's ascent and not the oh. absence of a code. Oh, okay. So the code... So this is pre-code is considered anything during and before 1934. Oh, okay. Because the code came into effect in the 30s, but it wasn't really enforced. 
And so then pre-code, then like 1934, like Breens was on it. was like, ah, ah. So. And when did the code go away? Did it go away? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I forget. Okay. I, I think it went away, I think, around Midnight Cowboy, didn't we? Oh. Kind of. Yeah, probably. Because that, that was, was the 60s. I think the code kind of went away when they got in the, the ratings. When they started doing the, yes. the ratings. The code then became the ratings. Yeah, and then they had like X rating and then Midnight Cowboy because that was the first film that was rated X that was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. And, and then my, a lot of people... My only, I think, X-rated film I yeah, ever saw. And, it, and a lot of people... And so then they had to redo it to be, make like NC-17 and stuff. And, and then Tipper Gore got involved. Right. So this movie, because it came out in the 33s, so it, there was a code. So it, it got caught up in the in the Hades code a bit. Um, the white guard getting hit. We don't see him get right. hit. So right. that got added back in. We didn't, in the movie, in the original movie, like they came out in 1933, they, I don't think they showed him even picking up they the didn't. shovel. They show the shovel, but they don't show him no, hitting him with my, the shovel. No, I'm telling you, you're not listening. He, when he picked, I don't think they even showed him picking up the shovel. That was added in by the Library of Congress. Okay. The Hayes Code made them wow. cut that out. So, the, like, this movie makes a lot, I can't imagine, like, people seeing it because he he's like, no, I won't. And then all of a sudden, he's in a truck with them. Truck with rocks. Because the Hayes Code didn't even, like, I thought, like you thought, like, oh, we couldn't actually see him hit the white man with the shovel. No, we couldn't even see him pick up the shovel, have the shovel in his hand, have the shovel back behind his head. That wasn't 1933. You couldn't even couldn't even insinuate that that was cut. Um, The Haitian showing Haitian women smoking was cut. And I, I don't know if they're, I, they filmed it, I think, in Haiti, so that's why they call it Haitian, but, like, the island that he goes to, there were women smoking. Cut that out. When Smithers, get, remember, because he, like, lights his cigarette? Mm -hmm. And I don't even think that we see him light it. I think he just has the cigarette, and he looks to Smithers, and Smithers has the lighter. Oh, we don't that see was the white out. man serving the black man at all. But my, same thing with the shovel. Oh. Like that was like the way that they had it was what they gave to the Hayes Code, and the Hayes Code was like, "No, man, you're implying that the white man is gonna light his cigarette." Wow, that was cut out. There was a scene, a steamy scene between Freddie Robinson and Paul Robeson. Oh, I'm sure that was cut out. That was cut, and that was the reason why they had to put on the pancake makeup because she was too light skinned. And they thought that she might be mistaken as a white. So they cut oh my that God. out and had to darken her skin. We couldn't have a white woman kissing a black man. And something that they were never able to find to put back in. But that they shot and that alludes to it is when he's going crazy and stuff. Mm -hmm. There was like scenes or, you know, because I mentioned how Dudley was into experimental film. And that was also Tasty Nugget 
he and Robeson clashed because Robeson came from the play. And so it was the words and the acting. Right. And Dudley wasn't really here for that kind of stuff. Dudley was into how do I make this look cool? And I think that is one of the good reheatables that I neglected to mention was like the special effects at the time of like with the the African dancing, even though. Right. Some people look at that as because, you know, at the time of the Harlan Renaissance and when this comes out in the in the 30s, there were a lot of white people who they liked the primitive nature of black culture. And, you know, the oh, the the thing that that people do and assign to like the first Americans and stuff, which is like Mm -hmm. uncivilized and uncouth and like assigning that to it when that's it's it's just a different culture and stuff. And so like the dancing some people look at that as being like, oh, it's the it's you know primitive and other and then you could also though look at it as like, oh, that's the culture. So it it's one of those. I I know. loved when they cut from the the people with drums and the dancing in the circle of the the people in Haiti, and then they cut to the black church. Yeah, and the because it was. They took that from there and, and they brought, brought it, it to, to that their culture that they yeah. But you could also, but there was a part of me that was like, did they mean to do that or is that like, like they're just like the primitive part of like, oh, it's they're African and like did oh, they you know like did they do wow. research and 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 so it's that or is it like oh you know do your African dance uh, kind they of they brought the primitive yeah you know? instead of incorporating their culture into where they're living now it was hey, they're primitive and they're still primitive yeah and like you know when you watch Black Panther people did their homework so all of the right. prints and all of that and like the culture and stuff it's like. No, people cared about this and they did it. And you know that because... Respectfully. Yeah, like who who made the film? And this, it's like 1933, the people behind it, I don't know if they were like... I don't... It's one of those things where they kind of got lucky in that if you read it this way, like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. they took that culture and and this is that. Or the cynical way, which... (laughs) You know, yeah. it's, it's America, it's you so it. I'm, right. I'm just like, it isn't, and it's one of those sad things, because it's not like I have a, a whole bunch of examples of things where it was like, oh, no, they had, like, the, their good intentions, and they were good-hearted in it, so it's just like, okay. I'm gonna go with bad intentions. Well, so, and I was saying how I like, like, they did an overlay kind of thing, like, you know, making it the ghost and when he, like, his dancing and stuff. And so from a technical aspect, I thought that was pretty cool. Dudley spent a whole bunch of money to make that whole last scene look blue because the whole thing was in black and white. And so he had it look blue and that, and then it ends up not being that big of a deal. Like, you're not mesmerized or wowed by it. But there's also this thing, a scene of, um, like, a jungle with like a slave ship and slaves being sold and the Hayes code made them cut that out. And the library of Congress could never find any of that to put it back in. Cause I think that's part of it in the play as well, that there's a whole oh, okay. section about like, he has a, like a, a hallucination about a slave ship and being sold. Right. And it's like, wow, you kind of take that out. And if you think about it, you take that out 
it kind of really does that would have added a lot to the character of Brutus correct <laughs> you know giving him a whole backstory like at, at least for his character and that it isn't as as um like oh you know He's emulating the Europeans because he wants right. to be like them. It kind of like brings into this whole thing of like, no, he is here because of the racism and the and just the original sin of slavery and being sold and his ancestors and that's always on his shoulders. It it, it is just like you know if you ever watch the TV show Black as Fuck. It all goes back to slavery. <laughs> Everything goes back to slavery. And if you don't think it does, think again. Yeah, I mean, like, I say y'all is, is, you know, just to have fun, to take, have a little bit of fun, but y'all couldn't, y'all couldn't even see a black man hit a, hit a white man with a shovel. So right. what right. would you do if, if, like, your people were enslaved? for 400 years on boats and then sold. This is like, oh, okay. I was looking at a website and I don't remember what it was, but it had like, um, it was talking about what happened in the movie and then like the, uh, the background stuff, like the fact that when he redid the palace, ev all the walls were white Therefore, it and that was like him going with the white way that he had learned of people in power. And so, when he acted as a person in power, he acted like what he had observed and lived through as a person less than those in power. Yeah, there was a whole, there was a lot of stuff on there that yeah it was heavy because it's it's just i mean it it completely ties in stuff with like the harlem renaissance and i encourage people to check that out because it is it's the same kind of thing of this duality of like oh this is right good. but then like well but here are the criticisms and and right. uh oh, and and how multiple things can be true at the same time the same that's why time. I, like this movie was just fascinating and all of those things of like this is wild that this exists but also, and it was uncomfortable for me as a, uh, a a person of European descent to watch it and hear the N word so frequently used by everybody in the entire cast. Yeah, every yeah. It was yeah, and it was stereotypical in a lot of ways, and so that was a a touch uncomfortable. But, but sometimes we got to be uncomfortable to grow. But yeah, and that was true too for me. But then also to see this movie from 1933 and how it was so short and look all of the things that happened, all the clips that we, like he started with Pullman. He did like just how he ascended and did this con right. and like how we're going from here and to there. And I'm just like, it definitely did not feel like a play, even though it was no. based on a play. Right, so right. It was just this thing of like, wow, this was kind of, and then reading how it was like financed outside of Hollywood, it was just like, man, this kind of would have been, I just wish that, that it wouldn't have been this and that we would have gotten more. 
like the same thing that, that has become like the theme of the show like with bruce lee like man what were we all the like we just got uh cheapened out like conned out of so much stuff over bullshit well done for not using the i know um, you did a really good job of not I saying was, it. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of you. I was like, I, what's another word? You had two different <laughs> ways. It was really good. Because I believe there is some gypsy in my past. So thank you. I'm just, but it, it's just crazy how far, how deep that stuff goes. and uh, Exactly. And you don't even realize it because you're just, that's the hogwash yeah. that Freddie Washington was talking about. And you're just like, right. um, like yeah, I'm going to put in a little bit more work to not do this, to try yeah. my best. Yeah. And then how it really relates to what we're going through right now as well. It's, history just it's echoes. Just it's unbe freaking leaveable. Like the NBA players just down in that bubble of like, so we're just here to entertain and it doesn't matter that. That's right. Like nothing, you know, because people will say, oh, well, he, he didn't do like, but what are you supposed to do? Like, you don't get shot in the back. Nobody who, gets shot in the back. Cares? Well, my father did in World War II, but that's a difference. Yeah, issue. but my friends, Justin and Evan, they carry around knives. But guess what? I I do not have any worries about them because they're two white men. And they're allowed to carry knives. You know? They are white men with a jewish ancestry though so there's that yes but <laughs> i mean uh, is anybody completely immune other than middle america touch okay okay next week we are moving on are you done yeah it was it was hard to watch but i don't think it was i don't think it was going the, on right now yeah, i don't think so. it was the hardest thing we've ever had to watch no because other than Freddie Washington, there wasn't blackface. Paul Robeson is amazing. <sighs> okay. We've watched way more, I think, harder, like, more problematic things. than I think the Emperor, it's worth watching because I'm like, oh, it's this movie seemed more modern than what I would think a 1933 film would be. But Correct. It's got, I agree. And, but all the problems it, with it are, like, the same shit. So that is hard to watch where you're like, eh. <sighs> It's 2020 Still? and this was... I know. So, 90, not not even 90 years. 97 years? 87. Oh, we're bad at math. Like, we are so bad at math. Like a long time. It was 33. It's Yeah, I think you're right. 87. Oh, if I'm right about math, we are definitely. Okay, next week. Do okay. I get to guess? I am doing a 1959 movie. Now, listeners who have been with us from the beginning know September, <laughs> which is <laughs> totally perfect for Gone with the Bushes because, yeah, we did this wrong. Yeah. Um, we thought it, it... is. <laughs> it is not the birth month of Paul, Paul Newman. Newman. It is the death month of Paul, Paul Newman. Newman. But... Um, I so, I read it wrong. I thought I just my eyes saw September. I assumed that's when he was born. 
That's what Which happens. is so freakish because he was born on You're, my birthday. Yeah, I, I was born on his birthday, truth be told. So how did I? Okay, anyway, it is Paul Newman Appreciation Month uh, for some of us. And I am doing a 1959 Paul Newman movie because this will be Christine's first Paul Newman movie. She hasn't been with us the last two years when we have done eight Paul Newman movies. So she has missed out on Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, Cool Hand Luke, which are my faves. The Hustler. The Hustler. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance oh, Kid. The Sting. And we did The Sting already. I mean, we've even and, done Harper and Torn Curtain. Yes, we have. And so this is one that I looked up, and I don't remember this from his repertoire because I was seven when this one was made. Oh, that means it's young Paul Newman, and I enjoy a young Paul Newman. And I wanted Christine to enjoy a young Paul Newman. What if she hate? What if she's like, nah? <laughs> she might be because um, she loves your brother, my son, and that's okay. It's okay. You okay? I mean, I mean we're my, not my gonna... brother's fairly attractive, so and Paul we're not Newman's gonna disown her. So... And you know, blue eyes. You know, her thing might be brown eyes, which, you know, your brother has gorgeous of. Paul Newman is on the level of attractiveness where it just, it it transcends. I don't understand anyone, male, female, transgender, who does not enjoy them some Paul Newman and and some young Paul Newman at that. I mean, yeah, he does fall into the classic Western European beauty model, but he is so good looking that... (sighs) Like oh he transcends God. that, so that like no matter what beauty standard you're looking at, it's never gonna be like, oh, Paul Newman, what a dog. No, like you, you can be into Christine whatever. Listen to this a touch, so that she knows, you know, not to like berate, but you know, she's allowed to do whatever she does, and we're gonna accept her. Or yeah, or she doesn't have to be on the podcast anymore. <laughs> well, that's true too. She could be kicked off. <laughs> Okay, so Aaron, any questions? Because I don't know that you've heard of this one. Nineteen? Is it with Cindy Poitier? I don't know who it's with. Oh, nineteen fifty nine. I don't believe it's Sydney. Poitier. I, you know what? I don't know. Go ahead and tell. Me. We're running long, so might as okay. well tell me. Okay. Okay, we're gonna go because we're gonna save you guys some time. The Young Philadelphians. Oh, how interesting. Because we got the Philadelphia connection. I myself was a young Philadelphian. You were indeed. The young Philadelphians. I'm excited. 1959. I don't know his co-star. I did look it up, but I didn't write it down. Therefore, I don't have it at this time. But we hope you enjoyed our (laughs) podcast this week. Mm Mm-hmm. Emperor Jones. Next week, some Paul Newman. You're welcome. Ooh, melodrama. Oh, man, Ma, did you look to see that? It's a long one. No, how long is it? Oh, Christine won't be happy. Two hours and 16 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. 2.16. Okay, that's that's 16 minutes over her limit, but... Maybe she'll fall in love with Paul like we have. 
All right. I'm excited. Well, listeners, there you go. Bye. Bye.